Welcome everyone to episode 7 of the Green Section podcast series. I'm Adam Miller, uh, agronomist in the Northeast and director of the Green Section Education Program. We did a similar podcast a couple episodes ago where we had several USG agronomists on to talk about some of the issues they're seeing in their region. Uh, and we had a lot of good feedback on that, and so we're going to do the same thing today. Uh, we've got a number of agronomists on. We're going to touch on some of the labor challenges that are really facing the entire industry, uh, cost of goods issues and supply chain issues, dive into some pests that are both uh, sort of nationally uh, a challenge and then some regionally specific pests, talk about water issues, and then finally wrap up with uh, a discussion on sort of play volume and traffic challenges golf courses have experienced. So before we get into that, uh, we've got uh, three of our four agronomists are all in the same place. Paul Jacobs, uh, who's in the central region, Jordan Booth, who's our newest agronomist in the southeast, and Zach Nicolutis, who's an agronomist in the northern half of the central region. Where, where are you guys at right now? We are out at the American Society of Golf Course Architects uh, meeting in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, so basically been attending meetings all week, um, as well as participating in some golf events. And then uh, we also had an opportunity to present on uh, the Distance Insights Project, um, some tools we have available through our uh, through the Deacon platform or some of the features of the Deacon platform, um, as well as other things going on with the USGA. And then um, that wraps up tonight and we head back uh, head back home after that. So it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, we're obviously still in, in a very much in a busy season in the Southeast. Um, and labor has been an issue everywhere from, from very high dollar budget facilities to, to lower budget facilities. So we are focused right now on working, you know, I think we were having this conversation last night. Once again, we're at the, you know, American society of golf course architects meeting. And, you know, unfortunately we don't really see an end in sight. And I think a lot of the trends of less labor, are probably going to going to continue for some time. So um, something that's come up while we've been here is certainly thinking about, you know, obviously we've been talking about this on some of these podcasts, but there's real appetite from from golf courses to do some renovation work right now. And so we've been working with architects and stakeholders to think about, okay, well, in these designs, right, we need to be thinking about the, the design factor and, and how labor is going to factor into that, right? If we're if we're maintaining golf courses with 10 less people per year example, um, can we do anything in the, in the design work uh, to make that a little bit easier? In the southeast, um, you know, some of our very rural areas actually have had the most success, um, ironically, keeping and, and maintaining their, their staff sizes um, just because of the availability of other jobs in that region, um, while some of our, you know, more urban populations have really struggled. So I, I haven't really seen a real theme or rhyme or reason or, or anything that's working particularly well outside of, you know, like Paul and I were talking about, you know, staffing bonuses and things like that um, can work, but I don't know if it's a long-term solution without permanently cutting your staff sizes, you know, because obviously the more you're going to spend on staff, uh, I think it's going to result in a smaller, smaller size. So I think long-term, we're going to have to think about things like uh, autonomous mowers and other strategies to uh, pay people more money and, um, you know, maintain the golf course with less folks, which I think there's some positives in there, like an increase in salaries, but 
there's also uh, obviously some more stressful situations for golf course superintendents. I think the implications here, Adam, also go beyond just staffing levels. I mean, I, I had some conversations with superintendents in the Kansas City area where the cost of, you know, pretty simple goods like sand top dressing, you know, superintendents are paying more to get the sand delivered, you know, just the the company that has to truck the sand there, they got to pay a truck driver to sit in that truck to get the sand there. So they're paying more to get the sand delivered than they are for the sand itself. So the implications here go far beyond just, you know, I got to find guys, to, you know, laborers to get work done on the golf course. Um, and from a superintendent standpoint, I don't think any of us on this call have the have the answer. We don't have the solution. If anybody did, uh, you know, I don't think I'd be working for the USGA anymore. <laughs> But it's tough. I mean, talking to guys on the road, it's it's hard to find guys. You know, even, even the guys with the big budgets. I mean, you can afford to, to hire people people at higher wages. You know, then, then the virus is a whole other issue where the people you do find, they show up one day, the next day they call you at you know five thirty in the morning and say they got a cough. They don't want to show up. And as a manager, what are you supposed to do in today's day and age? We're telling people, hey, if you don't feel great, let me know and you can't really manage that. You're just kind of given what you're given and you just got to deal with it. So I think from a superintendent standpoint, communicating some of these challenges to the stakeholders is huge. I don't think anybody has a solution immediately. Like Jordan said, eventually things like autonomous mowers, I think those are uh, coming down the pipeline here and they'll certainly help. But for now, just communicating the challenges and what they are is, is important. That's starting to extend well beyond uh, just finding um, staff to do, you know, hourly employees or seasonal employees or even full-time employees, but uh, to mid-level managers like assistant superintendents, assistants in training. I mean, there's some there's some uh, uh, jobs posted out there that, you know, lead assistants in major markets, you know, uh, salaries appro- approaching six figures with housing. I mean, when I came out of school, my first job paid twelve fifty an hour. Uh, I'd have to work a lot of hours to make six figures at 12.50 an hour. So the fact that these jobs are being posted at facilities that likely had had a pipeline within their, you know, of, of turf professionals ready to move up into those positions, I think we're looking at a major issue on that side of things with filling assistant superintendent positions or having to work or, or having to adjust to work with less managers than have been available in the past, which that, that, has, that has all kinds of effects on on the golf course and how things are run for sure. So something else to something else to touch on with in, increased cost of labor is also sort of the supply chain increased cost of goods and even just sort of you know the what the supply chain looks like for for folks. I know I'm working with a course uh, you know very close to my house that so they're doing a bunker renovation and the bunker sand itself is like 40% higher um, in in cost than what they were originally quoted at. So uh, what what about that? What are you guys seeing there related to you know cost of goods and supply chain stuff? It's certainly something we're advising clubs you know to really you know plan twice and before they make a decision. I think a lot of these clubs are you know courses are are anxious to to do some renovation work, which is exciting. Um, but but there's a lot of planning that needs to go into that. And and right now, just the availability of goods, no matter the cost, is really difficult to come by. You know. Obviously, depending on where you are location-wise compared to where your sand's coming from has a big impact on the cost of the sand, but also just the availability of things like, uh, you know, bunker liner materials, 
Um, I know some of our friends that uh, are in that bunker liner business, and, and they had a really hard time getting getting some of the materials they needed just to even produce uh, their products. So it's been it's been difficult across the board, you know, just like with the with the microchips. Anything that's in the supply chain right now that we're having to wait for is going to really slow down progress uh, moving forward. And kind of what Paul was hitting on with 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 the price of labor, um, you know, is, is going to make everything not only harder to get but also more expensive. So. Yeah, we have a situation that's affecting everybody. You know, the smaller budget, mid-range budget courses are struggling because, you know, the cost of labor and goods are going up. And even the the courses where, I won't say money's no object, but money's less of a a concern, sheer availability of some of these things, you know, materials, irrigation pipe, drainage pipe, uh, bunker liner products, uh, and labor. They're just not there. It's it's really affecting everybody. Yeah, I think four-inch perforated drainage tile has gone up, you know, it's doubled in the last year. So, you know, if you can get it. I think it extends to, you know, plant protectants and, you know, fertilizers and everything in that end. You know, talking with some superintendents, there's certainly a different approach to the early order program based on the difficulties they had acquiring, you know, even, you know, pre, you know whatever their pre-emerge products they use and their rough and fairways teas. Uh, you know, there were I know some superintendents that were delayed getting those in the spring, and now it's you know how do we plan for next year? Um, maybe you know some courses that didn't for for whatever reason didn't take advantage of early order programs are now kicking the tires on um, whether they want to want to whether they want to go down that road. So I think it's just you know there's it's a it's a snowball that just continues to grow as it as it rolls along here. So let's move into you know, pest issues. I mean, that's always every summer, no matter where you are, your course is going to deal with some form of a pest, whether it's weeds, disease, insects, or a combination of all of them. Uh, John, you've, you've got a strong background in plant pathology as you do, Jordan. Um, we'll start with you, John. What, what are you seeing wise? What were some of the, the more challenging disease or other pest issues that, that you saw in your travels in the Northeast? One of the things that, uh, has been quite common throughout the Northeast isn't necessarily new pest issues. It's just more uh, frequent outbreaks, uh, maybe some breakthrough and control programs, uh, disease showing up on uh, protected areas that normally would be disease free, um, whether it's dollar spot or, or brown patch or some other uh, maybe more rapid type disease infections like epithium. So with the, the abundance of rainfall, um, not only the, the amounts of rain that many courses received, but the frequency of rain throughout uh, much of July, August, and even into September with the tropical storms has brought uh, a, a lot of disease outbreaks. So I think one of the things that courses that have been successful in controlling some of these uh, disease formation is just tightening their spray windows. Those individuals that are, are keeping the resident kind of pest population at low levels and, and catching the outbreaks early um, have had less damage. So keeping an eye on on not only you know where we are in the calendar year, but more so what the current uh, environmental conditions are like have, has been very important this year um, with, with trying to make adjustments to, to protect you know, high value turf areas. Yeah, it feels like in the southeast we've experienced a lot of the the real you know ups and downs in in temperature extremes and moisture. So as we get these these rain events and systems moving through, we'll get you know eight, nine, ten inches of rainfall in a short period of time. And like John alluded to, it's very difficult to keep enough plant protectants out there 
to, to protect against things like pythium, uh, you know, root rot. That's when the most successful places have been able to get out, you know, tighten their windows and, and get those plant protect, protectants out in a timely manner. So just remember to adjust your programs based on the weather. I know that's simple and that's, that's basic stuff, but uh, it's, it's kind of forgotten about every year as we, as we see kind of some extreme stuff. And even in our research, you know, when we, when we get a break in the weather, the disease pressure goes way down. Um, that's not, that's not rocket science, but that's a big part of what's going on. Uh, another big best, best issue that we're dealing with this year is obviously fall armyworms. I feel like we've had at least two different cycles of that um, in the southeast, you know, starting back in, I guess, August of this year. Uh, I think I was on a, on a visit, and you could physically see <laughs> the damage occurring. Uh, it probably moved 100 yards just while we were on the visit, which is uh, alarming when you're the, you know, <laughs> when you're there and they're not spraying. So just something to always keep in the back of your mind. Like John said, these aren't new pests, but uh, something that we got to keep an eye on. Yeah, the, the fall armyworms one is is pretty wild. When I was at a family function with uh, my in-laws in Ohio and like an, an aunt who knows nothing about turf asked me, he's like, have you heard about these worms? Like that's how I knew like, ooh, this is, this is definitely a, a lot more widespread than I had originally thought. And I know it's like hard to come by getting some of those materials in the big box stores. Zach, you're obviously in the epicenter uh, of, I think, a lot of the, the, the damage, or at least it seems like it's sort of straight up through the center of the U.S. Um, what have you seen out there? It seems to be really uh, sporadic. There's definitely some courses that, I mean, as far as golf courses, and there's there's probably a lot of reasons for that, mainly being some courses that, you know, depending on what their uh, go-to product is for grub control. If they're, if they're, if they're spraying a, spe- a celebrant greens, tees, fairways, obviously those playing surface were protect- playing surfaces were protected. You know, at some, some courses that go to the level of extending those applications, maybe, you know, with one, one sprayer width out into the rough, or if they're going wall to wall, um, virtually no issues there. So, you know, but definitely there was a lot of, I was doing some visits up in the, uh, Chicago area and uh, you know Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you know Southern Wisconsin, and it was it was bright as all this was really kicking off, and um, you know some superintendents were like, oh, we see we see those eggs every year, but we don't really see damage, and then other superintendents were, you know, I've never seen this before. We're getting out, we're spraying, we're monitoring everything. So I think long term, um, talking with superintendents, they're you know they're looking at can we adjust our programs to um, uh, it, increase our uh, how much a celebrant is or how how far that a celebrant application in the spring extends whether it's you know you know kind of protecting it within the quote-unquote gallery ropes or, or 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 what what their approach is high profile areas stuff like that so uh, fortunately there's there's a relatively simple solution it's whether it can work out work financially for at, <clears throat> at facilities let's move into in Jordan you kind of alluded to this earlier with you know, moisture in the southeast, big issue, obviously, really across the whole country. And we're kind of divided where we've got, you know, a big portion that is not getting enough rain, um, or at least, you know, not yet. Hopefully <clears throat> some rain is is going to hit the west uh, the west coast here in, in portions of the mountain areas. But then the flip side, 
just way, way too much rain out there. So I guess we'll go around the, the room and start with Paul. Like what moisture issues, water issues, What? how much have you seen, whether it's too much or too little? Well, the region that I cover varies significantly from Iowa down through South Texas. But as a whole, I don't think anybody in our region has seen any major extremes. You get west of where I visit, you know, Arizona, Utah, and further west into California. Obviously, it's been dry there. Some of those areas are used to dealing with drought. Others uh, not so familiar. The area that I cover primarily, I don't think we've seen uh, any major departures from from what we normally experience there. Nothing crazy in our area. The seriousness of storms is just, you know, not like I, it just seems like it's not something we've experienced. You know, Detroit's a perfect example. Uh, I was working the senior open and got a call from um, superintendent in the Detroit area that they had, you know, I think it was slightly over six inches of rain in two hours. I mean, that's just. I mean, that, that's a ma- obviously serious rain event. Fortunately for this particular facility, they, you know, a number of years ago, they invested in uh, extensive internal drainage in their fairways. So, you know, putting greens are, are you know, built to USGA guidelines. Tees are, were, you know, drained pretty well also. So really where they saw any damage was out in the rough in areas where water collects. But I mean, it just highlighted the important, you know, how beneficial, um, internal drainage you know beyond you know greens and tees can be you know especially when it comes to you know these seri- these significant rainfalls where you're, you know you're not measuring in tenths of inches you're measuring you're tenths and you're measuring in you know whole inches so seeing more that's definitely been a major topic of discussion on on ccs visits is you know how do we expand our our drainage and you know, fortunately, either, you know, whether it's done in-house or working with, you know, contractors, we're seeing, you know, we saw so much success with sand channel drainage on putting greens. We're seeing a lot of facilities take that approach to their, to their fairways, you know, expanding the, the, um, the, the spacing between the laterals and, you know, going every 10 feet or every 20 feet, whatever it is, you know, if it's, if it's a area that's slow to drain, they can tighten that spacing and then um, can definitely be a very effective way to help with these heavy rainfalls, as well as, you know, you look at improved playability with helping with firmness, as well as golfer satisfaction that uh, carts are returning to traveling on the turf much sooner when you've got, especially as you address all those problem areas. You know, it's just been how how much money can, you know, how much money can be dedicated to dr- in installing drainage every year. So could be a, pro- you know, it could be something as far as, you know, long-term planning, it may take 10 to, 10 to 15 years to, you know, really, take care of everything but you start you start correcting those problematic areas and people take notice even though all the infrastructure is actually underground not much, you know, not much curb appeal but the end result is is huge for everybody that's a great way to describe it not much not much curb appeal it's like doing the hvac over in your house like that's uh that's something that bob becker described on one of our earlier podcasts like it to the golfer they don't see anything different and they don't necessarily know what's changed jordan and john a little bit more of the same with you guys in in your areas that you cover too too much rain most of the northeast uh got uh ample amounts of rainfall to the point of you know major flooding um especially down kind of the new york med area uh, westchester county um parts of long island uh up into connecticut uh received multiple heavy rain events five plus plus inches probably three to four different times uh, throughout this year. Uh, so just a tremendous amount of rainfall. 
like Zach said, the ones that have invested in infrastructure and, uh, you know, trying to address drainage concerns on their course uh, fared much better. Uh, but even those uh, courses that, you know, have done work to their putting greens, uh, we're now looking at, you know, completely saturated fairways where they could not get carts, uh, golf carts on the fairways. But more importantly, they weren't able to to mow uh, but before the next rain event. So um, a number of courses are looking at trying to, uh, you know, strengthen these these wet areas. And, and quite frankly, a lot of times it's not just a simple solution of a in-house project. The uh, scope of the work would require, you know, a more... Um, integrated approach where they're looking to move water from maybe multiple holes uh, of their property and not necessarily just fix one wet spot in the front of one green just to create a new wet problem in you know another area of the course so it's definitely something that's high on people's radar this fall and, and going into next year is trying to address these uh, you know, these chronically wet areas. Hey, Adam, I forget if it was two or three years ago, whenever I was in the Northeast, we had uh, an excessively wet season. And you and I talked a lot about the idea of, you know, don't let a good disaster go to waste when it comes to selling drainage projects, etc. You know, I'm not there now, but I'm curious what you guys are seeing also with the increase in traffic. I mean, it seems like all across the country, the number of rounds are just through the roof. So, if you guys had a wet season and all the traffic out there, I mean, has it been pretty ugly or how's it been? You know, I'll, I'll start and then I'll let John jump in here, but he, he, uh, he's, he's got a good perspective on this as well. I, I think thankfully with the amount of rain that we experienced in the Northeast, you know, we were hot the first week or so in July and then we had so much rain that there were some cooler stretches after a lot of the rain events that really, you know, made a big difference in how well the turf held up. Um, and then it was, you know, again, still, still pretty rainy in August and then it started to get a little hot. And so that's where some folks saw a lot of that more wear and tear really show up more disease pressure. Um, but you know, I've been on some really, you know, awesome courses that, that have great conditions, but even, even they, they have, you know, their, their wear spots, they're just sort of beat down. I mean, tees are undersized they're getting you know tons of divots which is great the, the golf course is being enjoyed but um it's been a a tough season uh when you're dealing with that increased play you know car traffic and you know just all, all the wear and tear even from equipment i mean through july hard to get a good quality cut on anything with that much rain um so yeah it's it's they're they're beat down but we we definitely uh, you know things could have been worse if it would have been hot like 2018 that, that year that you were talking about, that was hot and wet. Uh, thankfully, we didn't get a ton of heat till sort of the latter half of, of August when we had a lot of heat sort of following Tropical Storm Henri and Hurricane Ida. Yeah, nice thing about uh, when it does rain and when it rains heavy like we've had this year, we don't have, uh, we don't have play on those days. So even though the, the golf boom has certainly uh, kind of persisted, this year, there, there's been stretches of, of just, you know, no activity. So I think overall, most courses I've, I've spent uh, time with are seeing, you know, increases maybe over a three or five year historical average, but uh, uh, maybe not quite at the pace of last year, just because of the, the number of rain out days. So, you know, traffic concerns are still pretty high up on people's list of things to, to adjust. And, and like Adam said, you know, a number of courses are looking at expanding tees where it makes sense. Um, but I think, uh, 
you know, a, a, another aspect is just, you know, golfers have kind of, uh, um, you know, realized that uh, with more play comes more wear and tear. And, and uh, they, they've maybe uh, adjusted some of their expectations and kind of, you know, focused on uh, maybe more, uh, you know, important areas of the course and not necessarily an occasional blemish here and there. So I, I don't think the the traffic wear and tear has been maybe as great of an issue as is just the overall amount of rain and, and the inability to do something as simple as mow for, for many courses this year. Yeah, it's a little different in the southeast. I feel like we have a lot of pop-up thunderstorms, and, and in the past that might uh, that might slow the tee sheet down in the afternoon, but now golfers are wading in their rain gear. It's unbelievable. So uh, we, we haven't slowed down one bit. Uh, and with the single, you know, single rider golf carts, um, we've had facilities that have one nine closed to traffic because they've renovated and, and one nine open and it's night and day as far as the, the turf grass quality. So uh, I, you know, from, from talking to a lot of golf course owners and, and things like that, I mean, the, the single cart, you know, rider is a, is a trend that they're having to work hard to get rid of. I don't know, maybe you guys have seen something else, but it's still a big issue in our region. I agree with you, Jordan. What are we going to do about the single rider cart situation? How do we get away from that in the future? We're going to charge them triple, Paul. I've had a few superintendents ask me, you know, and I said, I don't know how we get away from this now, boys. We're here. Where this goes, I don't know. But, I mean, just this week in, uh, in the Cleveland area playing a few golf courses, I felt kind of bad for superintendents. Obviously, you know, pretty big outings, carts going out, and they got some rain on, uh, what was it, Monday night, guys? You can see where those carts are driving. It don't look great. It's interesting you mentioned the single single rider carts. I mean, I'm I'm certainly not seeing that in in the courses I visit in the Northeast. John, what what about you and Zach? I'm curious. It could be, you know, a little bit more of a southern thing, or just the overall demand has required the use of people pairing up again, and I think just overall feelings um, around individual players being comfortable riding together. I I don't think the uh, single rider issue is is something that's as widespread up here in the Northeast, thankfully. So maybe it's just a little bit more regional based uh, with those, those Southern folks. We need to get in touch with you guys to figure out what facilities are doing to encourage two people per cart, because I can tell you in certainly in Texas, Oklahoma, Everywhere I've been, you know, people are asking, you know, how are we going to get away from this? Whose whose responsibility is it to communicate the benefit of putting two people in a golf cart? Or maybe not the benefit, but the implications of having single riders in every cart from a traffic perspective. You know, maybe that's something that we all need to do a better job of communicating to golfers, the, the implications from a course conditioning standpoint. But where I'm at, there's still a lot of people riding one per cart, and I don't think it's uh, because they're scared to go two per cart. You know, they got used to one person per cart, and they like that, and heck, why not keep doing it? Thinking about it, I, I just think a lot of, for, at a lot of facilities, that, that just isn't, that wouldn't be sustainable for them just based on how many carts they have and they're available. I mean, that would, they would be, they would be running into situations where they just would, wouldn't have, uh, you know, they wouldn't have enough carts if, if everyone was out on the golf course for rounds being played later in the day. So, I, I mean, from... I, I would imagine it's just a policy, policy, implementing a policy. Like we don't allow single rider carts unless there's an, an obvious need for it. But uh, when you're getting into the you know private side of things, there's obviously hurdles, certain hurdles there. It's an education opportunity for us, for sure. You know, I've talked to a lot of superintendents that early on last year with the single rider carts that it's like, all right, if you give us the resources to fix the wear and tear and you know that kind of stuff, okay. Um, 
then there's still the obvious challenge of can you hire enough staff to to do the actual work but if you're going to stick with that for a long term yeah you, you'd hope there would be you know revenue that then got filtered back into the maintenance budget because yeah that's that's going to be more more wear and tear uh guys awesome talking to you uh i wanted to sort of quickly recap um you know with you all if there's anything specific regions you know region specific that you wanted to, to touch on uh when we were talking about you know kind of the some of the renovation stuff and supply chain i think it's also important for considering how much construction work is being done superintendents or whoever you know whenever these discussions are taking place need to be well aware of of timelines and and expectations for when these projects can be completed the need for whether it's a part of a master plan or it's developing a new you know a master plan is in development and when can when can these projects be realistically completed you know it's not going to be hey it's it's June one. Let's uh, let's get let's get going on this August. You know August first. There's probably likely, you know, a season between. You know, if we if it's if it's twenty if, if it's this time, it'd be pretty tough to start getting uh, everything lined up from a supply standpoint as well as a contractor standpoint for even next year. And I think a lot of the the renovation stuff has you know been put off for you know really since kind of pre two thousand eight right. So there's a lot of like we talk about drainage infrastructure stuff that's been lagging behind. And so we've, we've got to make up for some of that lost time um, and kind of fix, like you said, some of the stuff that doesn't have the curb appeal, but we got to get the infrastructure set up to be successful if we're going to do, you know, bunker renovations, regrassing projects, stuff like that. And if you're going to be doing any kind of planting next spring, you better order your seed now if you haven't already done so. Awesome, guys. Appreciate the time. I know you guys are uh, running around all across your regions, so uh, wish you all safe travels. Uh, and uh, again, we'll talk soon. All right. See you guys. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate all the positive feedback we've gotten over the past few weeks and really since we've launched this podcast. If there are any topics that you guys have that you'd like us to cover, feel free to let us know. Uh, finally, be sure to check out uh, the USGA and Green Section website at usga.org coursecare. Subscribe to the Green Section record, our digital publication that goes out uh, twice a month. Uh, follow us on Twitter at USGA Green Section. Uh, green is spelled G-R-N. Uh, and then obviously subscribe to the podcast through either Spotify or Apple Podcasts.